The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Even if the radio stations didn't start playing Christmas music in the middle of July, you would know that Christmas is on its way. There are so many signs of the season all around you. You can see the preparations beginning. This is kind of old hat. We know how it goes. And that means all kinds of things for those of you who celebrate Christmas. For you who celebrate Christmas, it means looking forward to, preparing for the birth of Jesus, remembering his coming in the manger. And so there's all kinds of festivity, things that remind you of this season, things from your childhood, things that you have established as new traditions in your homes when you had your own homes, things that show you the time is coming, the time is coming. So Christmas decorations start popping up, Christmas cookies start appearing and disappearing on the counter, Christmas cards start coming in the mail, Christmas presents appear under the tree. The music changes, not just on the radio, of course, but here in church. The music changes. These old, familiar Advent tunes are here, ringing in your ears. And of course, as you get closer and closer to the holiday itself, to the feast itself, let's say you're hosting your family Christmas, there are all kinds of signs that this is going to happen. The house gets tidied up. The groceries are stocked in the fridge. The guest room has the beds made. Preparations are made. These signs are here. And then, of course, on the day of the feast, the smells from the kitchen waft throughout the house. The signs are there that this glorious moment is happening. We're here to feast. We're here to celebrate. We're here to enjoy the blessings God has given us. All of those signs work together to draw you towards this occasion. However you celebrate it, however it looks in your home, there are all kinds of signs. Now, there are also some signs that are less welcome. For instance, an inch or so of snow, and the need to get up earlier and push it, the cold weather, the need to bundle up, to put on your snow tires, put on the chains, whatever it might be, those things are perhaps less welcome. But by and large, by and large, the signs of this season, the signs of that coming feast are pleasant. We enjoy them. They remind us of good times, 
and we look forward to good times ahead. They're pleasant signs of a pleasant occasion. That's not always the case. There are often signs for folks that are heartbreaking and grievous. They remember times that are no more, that will not happen again. They remember people who once were at the table and they are now gone. Those unpleasant signs are often for folks a sign of an unpleasant occasion. Christmas can be, for many people, a very bitter time. But in any case, what you see, what you see is a clear sign, something pointed ahead to this occasion. And without the signs, you might be caught quite unprepared. Imagine that you wake up on Christmas Day and the family shows up for dinner and you had no idea they were coming. How unpleasant that would be, how shocking it would be to be unprepared. Maybe that's happened to you before. Maybe not so much waking up on that day, being unprepared, but being overtaken by cares and anxieties. So you don't have time or attention to pay attention to the things going on around you. Maybe the season just sort of sweeps by because you've been sick or family has been sick or you've suffered a loss. Maybe that's what's happened to you in the past. All of those signs point ahead. Whatever they are, good signs or bad signs, they point ahead to this occasion either a pleasant festival or perhaps a sad moment. Jesus talks about some signs in our gospel lesson. And you would expect that the signs of Christ's return, the signs of Christ's coming, would be joyous signs, all good and no bad, pleasant and happy. But you heard what Jesus said, the kinds of signs that foretell his coming. Listen again. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. You heard it from Malachi. The day is coming. And what kind of day is that? It's a day that is burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. That day is going to set them ablaze. Those are not happy signs like smells wafting in from the kitchen. Those are not happy signs like favorite tunes playing on the radio. Those are terrifying signs. In fact, in fact, you hear, Jesus says, people will be terrified. The world will tremble. The world will tremble because the world knows that it is falling apart. Creation knows that it is falling apart. That is why there is roaring of seas and waves. That is why there are earthquakes and tremors. That is why there are hurricanes and tornadoes. That is why creation is crying out, because it knows that the end is near. But the people of the world also know. Just look around you and see how desperately the world clings to the things of this life. How desperately the world wants to hold off the end of the world. How desperately it wants things to remain as they are not to change. You can hear that in the refrains of let's get back to normal. Let's just go back to the way things were, whether that's a few years ago or in the 1950s or centuries ago. Let's get back because we want to stay here. The world wants to stay where it is and it knows. It knows that something is not right. The world is in fact falling apart. You can see it in the headlines. As sensationalized as headlines are, what is the news generally? Not good news. Generally, it's terrible news. Wars and rumors of wars, natural disasters, scandals, violence, anything but peace, anything but hope. The world knows it is falling apart. Now, sometimes this gospel lesson gets a little bit confused because people think that they should be looking forward to these signs. That is, looking ahead 
to these signs. These are things that are going to happen in the future, and that's how we'll know Christ is about to return. And so when some great natural disaster occurs, when there's an earthquake and a bunch of people suffer, when there's a tsunami, when there's some natural disaster, people think, oh, this is it. This is the sign of the end. Now Christ is going to come. But Jesus is really talking about things that have been going on for some time. In fact, you could put it this way. You could say the end of the world began when Jesus died on the cross. That's when the end of the world began. It was the beginning of the end. And you saw some signs already at the crucifixion of Jesus. Maybe you remember this from Good Friday. Three hours, it was dark. The sun was blotted out while Jesus hung on the cross. And the earth quaked. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. The graves of many righteous people were opened. These signs began already with the crucifixion of Jesus. Terror came upon the world already then. Because God had appeared in human flesh and sinners had put him to death. Already with the crucifixion of Jesus, it was the beginning of the end. These signs have been going on for some time and they have not really changed. The things that we experience in our world today, the falling apart of the world, it is the same story that's been told since then. And it's the same story, really, that has been written since Adam and Eve fell into sin, since the first groans of creation were uttered, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so it is no wonder, it's no wonder that the signs of the coming of Christ are dreadful. Again, they're not pleasant signs, not the wafting in of aromas, not the jingling of bells, not the happy sounds of families' voices, but they are dreadful signs, and here's the reason why. It's because the sin that has overtaken the world is dreadful. It's because the curse that fell on the world because of Adam and Eve's sin is grievous. It's because the world, since the beginning, since Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate and rebelled against God, the sin has been in bondage, in slavery, held under the sway of sin and the devil. They are dreadful signs of Christ's coming because sin is dreadful. So there's another picture that you should hold in your mind as to what the end looks like. It is less like the signs of a Christmas feast, the pleasant signs of a Christmas feast. It is less like that and more like this. Imagine that you're sitting in your living room and uh, some evening, just minding your own business, you're sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, outside, there's just a dreadful commotion, bright flashing lights, all kinds of shouting, clattering all around, not the kind of clattering that's Santa on the roof, but like terrible noises happening outside. And then somebody comes and kicks in your door, wielding a weapon in his hands. A terrible sight. If you were sitting calmly in your chair, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's such a commotion and somebody busts into your house, you think that you're living in some terrible Hollywood movie, right? A home invasion is undergoing. You better channel all of your Liam Neeson experiences. You've got to put it to work right now. Your home is under invasion. That's what you would think. Those signs, all of that noise, all of that commotion, all of that dread, if you were sitting peacefully in your living room, would be a sign of something terrible. But if you were sitting peacefully in your living room and your house was on fire, then the clatter and commotion outside, the noise, the ruckus, the shouting, the the man kicking in your door with an axe in his hands, that would be something quite different. It would not be terror. It would not be dread. It would be loud, it would be frightening, but it would be hopeful because here's someone who has come to rescue you, someone who has come to save you, 
Someone who has come with all his might because your house is burning down. That is how you should think about the return of Christ. This house is burning down. Now, if you think that you're sitting peacefully in your living room, then the coming of Christ will be quite unwelcome. As he kicks in the door, wielding his axe. That will be quite unwelcome. If you think that it's just another ordinary evening. But if you know that the wages of sin is death and that this house is falling to pieces, then the return of Christ is the most joyous, most hopeful thing. And as you phoned the uh, fire department, as you dialed 911 and you sat there waiting, maybe you have some reason you can't get out of the house. The analogy fails at this point, okay? But you're sitting there waiting for the firemen to come. As soon as they arrive, it is the moment you've been waiting for. It's the thing you've been expecting. And that moment you receive with great joy. That's how we should think about the end of the world. That's how we should think about the return of Christ. Now, this is hard because we are trained in our lives, in our sinful flesh. We are trained to look for pleasant signs of pleasant things. We are trained by our world to overlook unpleasant things, to kind of sweep them aside, to ignore them, or to make excuses for them, or to delude ourselves into thinking that they're not really there. We're trained by our world to love ourselves and to love our comfort. Christ is doing something for us here in the season of Advent and our whole lives long as Christians. He is training us to see things differently. In the first place, to recognize our own sin so that we can see in what danger we are, how grave that danger is. And in training us to see our sin, he is also training us to look forward to his coming. We would not, by nature, look forward to his coming. We would put it off as long as we can. We would think it was the worst thing in the world. It was a nightmare to have the world end if we were left to our own devices. But Christ comes to train us, to teach us, that what we are waiting for in his return is not the end of every pleasant thing that we've enjoyed. It's not the end of the lives that we've loved. It is not the end of every good and pleasant memory, but it is the beginning of a better life, a life lived according to God's will, a life of grace and mercy and peace, a life in which we ourselves are no longer beset by sin, a life in a world that is no longer dying and decaying, a life in a world that is not groaning under the burden of what we have done to it by our sin. That's what we are looking forward to. That is what Christ is training us to see. That's why when Jesus tells about all of these terrible signs, the example that he uses is an example of a tree coming into leaf. Springtime is here, the trees are blossoming, and soon they will be full of green. That's the picture he uses of the end. It's not now the leaves are falling off the trees and the branches are dying and they're covered in ice. That's not the picture he uses. The picture of all these dreadful signs is a picture of a tree finally, finally bearing fruit. That is what we are looking forward to. And so in creation, when you look around you and you see all of these signs of death and decay, you must see them differently. They are not signs of death, but they are signs of life. When you look around you and see in the world, in people around you, signs of death and decay, they are not signs of your own frailty. They are not signs of your own weakness, but they are signs of Christ's return. Look at your own life as you age, as you grow weak and weary, as you see much more behind you than you do see in front of you. As you think about times past, as you think about people lost, as you think about your own weakness, do not see it. Do not see it as a sign of the end, but as a sign of Christ's return. Not as a sign of death, but as a sign of coming 
life. It's a whole new way of looking at the world. It would be impossible, be impossible on our own to see that way. That's why Christ trains us. And here's how he does it. He teaches us to put ourselves constantly in view of his cross. I'm so thankful that this crucifix stands right here because it is a constant reminder to me that in my preaching, the cross should be front and center. This is what I should always be pointing to. This is what you should always be looking at because in seeing Christ on the cross, you see how death in God's hands can bring forth life. How grief in God's hands can become joy. How the end of all things, the end of every hope in God's hands is hopes fulfilled and promises kept. Because in the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross for your sins, bearing in his body those glorious wounds to pay the debt that you owe to God, Jesus is the prelude to your life. He's laid into the grave where you belong, but out of that grave he comes, glorious and triumphant, so that you can be sure, as you live in him, as you have been made in him, in his image, through baptism into his death, you will also rise like him. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can produce no fruit. But if it falls into the earth and dies, it will produce fruit abundantly. That's the story of your life. That's the story of Christ's life. That's the story that God is telling in this world. As much as the world opposes it and as much as the world plugs its ears to it, don't listen to the world. Fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus. Put your trust in him. Learn to see from him how things are going and what you are hoping for. Learn to see that although the heavens and the earth pass away, his word, his word of promise to you will never pass away. In fact, as the days go by, as each moment goes by, we grow closer and closer to its fulfillment. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.